to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Making Laps Podcast. I am your host, Brent Gleason. My normal co-host, Phil Jakes, is on assignment down in Florida at the Daytona International Speedway for the Rolex 24. We will be touching base with him in a few moments. I have a co-host sitting in with me in studio. is actually my brother, Jesse Gleason. Uh, last week, I wanted to make one clarification. I did a show with Tom Sid DiMaggio and Sean Foster for the show that's going to be premiering on YouTube in actually 72 hours or so as of recording. It's going to be January 28th for anybody interested. But later in the episode, I had made a comment about not having a Patreon account after we were talking about pay-per-view stuff. And I had gotten some feedback from people saying, oh, why are you going to insult another podcast that will go completely unnamed about local racing? Listen, if you actually listen to podcasts with the relative frequency that I do, Every podcast that's successful has a Patreon account. It's for people to who host those podcasts. It's for them to offer something special for people who want to financially support their podcast in some way. They'll add like a bonus episode for those supporters only. Some people may want to put their podcasts on Patreon solely. And I don't feel like I have the listener base to really justify having a Patreon account. So that's why I mentioned it. So I don't really want to hear anything about it from here on out. <laughs> so I'm not throwing shade at anybody. It's literally something every podcast does. I just don't have the listener base to justify it. So joining us by phone, obviously, is the regular co-host, Phil Jakes. He is on assignment, you could call it, at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And yes, you can hear the cars going by in the background. Phil, how is the atmosphere down there? Uh, alcoholic. <laughs> if you're drunk, pick the cars in the middle and, and tell us what's going on. Well, I, I haven't actually been drunk yet. Uh, this was kind of a mild year for me, so... Well, at least it hasn't rained yet. On, well, too badly, I should say, right? We actually didn't get any rain so far this year. It was uh, a little misty on Thursday when we came up here in the morning, but that cleared out by about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and once we had the camp area set up, it was sunny and beautiful, and it's been pretty much that way the entire weekend. There's no rain forecasted for, like, overnight or tomorrow, right? Nope, nothing like last year. Last year, we bailed out of here before midnight, uh, and we watched from the beach house over in Ormond Beach and laughed as we saw the cameras pan across our campsite to about a foot of standing water. What so hour is it right now? What hour are you in now? So the race started at 1.40, so... We're about five hours roughly into it. So you're at about 19 to go or something like that, right? <laughs> roughly, yeah. All right. Okay, what are the big stories that happened so far with hour five into the race? Uh, it was a pretty quiet start to the race. Uh, but kind of as the Porsches go by and you can barely hear me. Oh, yeah, uh, we can tell those are Porsches. Kind of as to be expected, the new Corvettes have been struggling a little bit. Uh, they're relatively unproven cars in an endurance race of this stature. So 
I think the number four, I believe it was, went out early. I don't know if he's back in the race with the car yet, uh, but they were last at the last time I actually looked at the rundown. Uh, and the other Corvette was running, I believe, third in class. So where are you stationed right now? I am right inside the turn four, NASCAR turn four campground uh, by the turn four tunnel. Okay, so you didn't catch the Castor Neves incident with the Mazda in the inner loop, huh? No, I have not seen that yet. I did hear about it, but I have not seen it. Did you go down to the pits at all, or do you just kind of sitting around a campfire? We went down to the pits on Thursday. Um, you generally will not go back down again until later tonight. During the night is when all the action kind of happens at this race. You know, they bring in their cars for brake changes and uh, different different maintenance items that they go through during the course of the 24 hour race yeah the uh the penske acura that castro neves was driving i think they did about 37 minutes worth of repairs so they had some pretty nasty damage i think they they'd messed up the right rear the whole under tray and the back end of the car like the back tailpiece that sounds like it would have been a lot more than a 4x on i racing <laughs> yeah that car was naked pretty quick you can see it's under rouge definitely there's not much left on that thing and they had trouble earlier this weekend they bend it pretty good in the inner loop uh during i believe qualifying uh i believe it was jordan taylor uh i think he's the, the taylor brother that races for that team yeah don't quote me on that one i have no idea which one it is yeah, there's two I, of them. Yeah. I did have the privilege of meeting Rodney Sandstorm this morning waiting to get into the shower area, so that was uh, pretty entertaining. Did you get any video? <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. I didn't have my phone on me at the time. I didn't expect to see him there. Okay, so I have a burning question. How much do you have to pace yourself for drinking, or how much sleep is actually involved? So we'll do... Like last night, we stayed up till about 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Friday night is usually the big party night. Last year, we were up till 3. This year, we're up till 2. I guess as you get older, it kind of leans off a little bit. Um, Thursday night is a pretty rowdy night, too, but they have racing until 11, so no one really starts getting really crazy until late. And by then, no one's really interested in it anyway. Um, during the race... You don't see as much actual partying as you do on Friday night, but there's still, I mean, there's beer pong tournaments going on, and there's all kinds of craziness going on down here. Uh, but generally, sleep-wise, these guys, that at least that I hang out with, we get a regular eight, eight hours sleep on Thursday and Friday, and then we go to sleep for a couple hours, and then wake back up in the middle of the night during the race. So, like, we'll go, we'll go to dinner outside the track to kind of escape the noise for a little bit. Uh, probably makes us sound like old men, but whatever. Um, but we'll we'll escape the noise for a little bit, have dinner somewhere, uh, Olive Garden, Outback, you name it. Uh, we'll come back and probably hang out around the fire for a couple more hours and go to sleep by midnight. 
sleep for a couple hours and then wake up and watch the rest of the race. Hey, maybe you'll catch some action. Who knows? Maybe you'll actually get to watch some racing. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, I was more I was more interested in the strategy behind drinking. Like, is it because you know you're not going to be there to work on race cars? So you got to, and it's a 24 hour event. So it's like you almost got to like pace yourself to make it to the checkered flag, right? Yeah, I've been working on a Jack and Coke here since about two o'clock this afternoon, but it's a Seven Eleven Big Gulp cup full of Jack and Coke. So I'm about halfway through it, and I got quite a ways to go. All right, so pace yourself. I know you're going to go get some food and enjoy the rest of the sh- uh, festivities, and we're going to continue on with the show. Sounds good, man. All right, thanks for touching in or touching base, whatever I, whatever I tried to say right there. That was weird. <laughs> I didn't even drink anything yet. Maybe you should. I know I probably should, but that usually ends pretty badly. But we do get the most listens if I do that. So, Hey, new strategy for listens. Yeah. All right, man. Catch you later. Don't pace yourself. All right. <laughs> later. Bye. So, see, we weren't lying. We actually had a guy on the ground in the, at the Rolex 24 in Daytona. Yeah. yeah, we sound like big league, but no, he's on vacation. So, whatever. I don't care. So, anyway. Thanks for pulling back the curtain. That's yeah, I, I know. Exactly. I'm, I'm really not as big as I thought I was. But, uh, all right. So, since we're back to our normal format, let's get on into lap number one. For lap number one this week, I am going to take the time to plug a big race coming up in April, but it's going to be a little further north than what we've been focusing on lately. Usually, we're kind of stuck around this area, the Connecticut region where we're based out of, but I want to go a little bit further north, and I want to actually touch on all of New England at some point in this show. So I want to talk about the Northeast Classic at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Basically, it's going to be a pro all-star series American-Canadian Tour, Tour-Type Modifieds, and Street Stock Show. That's going to happen on April 17th and 18th. The rain date is going to be for the 19th, and that's a Sunday. And they had run a couple races like this in the past. I believe Bob Guptill in the Street Stock Showdown Series put something together that I think it was the last two years to run something up there. And Bob said he wasn't going to do it, and so people got kind of sad that they weren't going to be able to do it. But then... I believe the guys from Pass and ACT put their, put their heads together in their promotional minds, and they said, all right, well, we're going to keep doing it, and they're going to actually start their seasons at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So it's almost like a local guy, Daytona 500. They're going to start at the biggest track in New England. I wouldn't say biggest in, in terms of tracks because somebody will try to correct me and say, oh, well, the road courses are bigger. No, we're talking about old tracks. A race like this is really kind of important to local racers because you don't really get an opportunity like this as a local racer to race at a big track like New Hampshire Motor Speedway, like something that cup drivers actually get a chance to race on like they hold cup races at now jesse and i are both pretty privileged to have been able to race at thompson speedway because they were actually a local track that used to race cup races like richard petty used to race there and you know davy pearson and you know you name it and those people used to race there i mean jess would you would you race at new hampshire if you had given the I chance mean, it's definitely a bucket list item you know I mean, if you run a daytona would you get yeah. If I could run at North Wilkesboro, would I? Yeah. Any any kind of track that gets that kind of special attention gets a little extra prestige. So, absolutely. I, I think anybody would if they could afford it. Yeah, and uh, I was sitting here looking through the rules and trying to see if my street stock style car would fit. And I'm 
going through, I think, five or six pages of the rule book with a highlighter and highlighting the parts that I need to fix and what I, you know, actually conform to. And to be completely honest, um, there's a lot that it actually makes it. So I really want to run this race, and I know you do too. Yeah, they have to go by – they're trying to get their field as big as possible, so they have to highlight, obviously, the most – uh, important aspects between you know what makes a Connecticut street stock or race can they make a race with a uh, New Hampshire street stock versus uh, New York street stock or something like that. That's uh, so to make one common rule book out of you know fifteen different racetracks divisions is going to be is quite a tall task. But they think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, it, I actually went back through the rule book from. The past couple of years that the uh, Street Stock Showdown series ran, and they almost copy pasted it. The only difference that I was able to figure out was if you run a built engine, you can run ten point nine nine to one maximum on your compression. But before it was like ten to one, so it's like, all right, well, that's the only difference that I was able to find. And yeah, it is a really tall task for them to try to get as many cars to come as possible with how many tracks there are in New Hampshire, in Maine, in Connecticut, Massachusetts. Well, there's only one in Massachusetts, but to get all the cars to come, I mean, I don't think they'll have a problem getting cars for this field because it's, I think it's held at a good weekend. It's probably going to be cold. I mean, it is mid-April in New, in New Hampshire, but after being at New Hampshire Motor Speedway in the dead of summer last year and it being 95 degrees... I am fine with going and being cold. Like, do you mind racing in the cold? No, I prefer it. <laughs> yeah, I prefer it too because when you're Nature's sitting in a AC unit, that's fine. Yeah, it's great because when you're sitting in a race car, you're sweaty. Like, it's it's hot. I've always run better when it's really cold out anyway, so I'd prefer that anyway. Yeah, and I mean, there, I think that the the only thing that I haven't been able to really nail down on this race is the actual length of the features. Um, they said, one place said that Pass was going to run 75 laps, ACT was going to run 75, Tour Type Mods are going to run 75, and Street Stock's going to run 40. And I'm like, 40 laps in a Street Stock at New Hampshire Motor Speedway is going to be the most boring race in history. <laughs> but then I saw a place where it says that all the, the bigger divisions are going to run 50 laps, and then the Street Stock's going to run 25. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit more manageable but I can't really figure out how many laps it's going to be. I don't think it really matters. I mean, it just just to have the chance to race there is really what matters. They got to promote it well and figure out what they want to do. Obviously, they have to first things first is they got to run a show that's safe. Uh, a couple of the years they had so many cars that not all the cars I know of uh, even went through a basic uh, safety inspection, uh, which. Sounds scary, especially when you're doing about 140 miles an hour down the back straightaway. You don't know if somebody's lead's going to fall off and hit you in a windshield. So the first thing is you got to be able to run the show smoothly and safely. So that's the task that they have to do first. Now, I know it's the, the show is going to be underwritten by Pass and the ACT. And I know that those guys have a heck of a lot more staff then I know Bob probably doesn't have a lot on the Benny Stock Tour Street Stock Showdown series. Bob is a you know small promoter, but he does put on good shows. But I mean, it's it's difficult to have enough manpower 
And I, I know Bob and his team, they're good people and they do a lot of good stuff, but sometimes it's just really easy to get strung out and some things can slip through the cracks. But right here with not only pass support, which is a big East Coast, I'm not going to call them super late models because people down south would be like, they're not supers, they're pro late models. I don't care what they are. But we got the support of them and the American Canadian Tour, which are two very highly regarded series. So I think it'll actually be a, a pretty good like show on that front. Yeah, it's a once a year thing. Once a, and you never know if it's going to come back next year. So the only thing with these shows is that you're not going to see a lot of people in the grandstands, and that's kind of sad. If promoted properly, they probably would. Yeah, and and um, I know that Bob said that he. When he promoted this show two years in a row, he made money on it, but it was such a huge risk that he just wasn't really willing to take it, and it's a lot of money. So, I mean, even with people coming in the back gate, it's a good, well, decent moneymaker, but like I said, I, I'm trying to help promote it here. Again, it's April 17th and 18th at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, Pass Tour, ACT, Tour Type Modified, Street Stocks, and Jesse and I really want to do this race. And right now, with our financial situation, it's not completely out of question, but it's also not terribly feasible. So if there's anybody out there in listener world who wants to help us out, buy tires. Tires are really the big thing. I can't really afford a set of tires. I mean, we got to buy tires the day that we race. It's like for a set of Hoosier 800s. And I'm like, man, I, I can't really swing that right now. So if anybody wants to come on as a tire sponsor to either one of our cars, hit us up. Find us on Facebook, Gleason Bros Racing, GleasonBrosRacing.com. You can find each of us on Facebook, Jesse Gleason, Brent Gleason. You can find me on PayPal, too. Yeah, PayPal's great. We can I could give you my... Cash, money, orders, checks. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, anything we can trade at a pawn shop. I mean, <laughs> <It's>, any... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> anything we can do. But we'd love to have people come on and be sponsors and, and help promote their business on a big market. And this is going to be a big market race. You know, this is something that... What about TV? Of, is TV covering it? It would be great if TV was covering it. Maybe I'll send a message over to NBC Gold Track Pass or whatever it is now. It used to be Fans Choice, but I'm going to try to... I, like I said, we need to promote this show because I love to have a big ticket show that all these short track and grassroots racers can come and race time for lap two sir all right let's go to lap two so for lap number two this week we're going to talk about nascar making changes to the pit stop rules for the xfinity series and the truck series for 2020 again what do you mean again again as in they change the rules again oh they changed them yeah well again. nascar has a well i don't know what to say about nascar changing the rules every almost week it seems but again again again, again. well they're the only real uh i was almost gonna say professional sport but i don't know what to call it but what what do you mean by only they're the only professional sport that changes the rules this frequently right so, i know i know the rules in basketball i know the rules in baseball football the NHL, well, the NHL is kind of like NASCAR. It changed a little bit here and there, but it's still the same principle. Yeah, but they don't change the rules every week. Yeah, it seems right. You know, oh, we're going to try this new this week. We're going to try that new this week. Uh, but you think it's a good idea? This this new rule for the uh, pit stops. That's right. In a way, I do. But I mean, I got to go into it to explain it for people. But it essentially, models the ARCA series or the former K and N East and West series rules where. 
well, it's for non-companion races only without the Cup Series being there on the same weekend. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's it, it goes like this. It, as the caution comes out, the field is frozen. Uh, stage breaks, they allow a full pit cycle, and there's two opportunities to pit per cycle, and it's the same for non-stage breaks like wreck yellows. A quick yellow like debris or a spin or whatever is going to offer one. And what I mean by two opportunities to pit or one opportunity to pit, that means I think, and I might be wrong, but I think you're only allowed to change tires one stop. And then if you want to get fuel, you have to go around and then stop again and get fuel. Now, they broke it down to an eight-member roster for the crew. Uh, Four of them are going to service the car. One fueler, one gas man, one driver service crew member, like someone who hands them drinks or takes bottles out or whatever, hands them an ice bag, whatever driver service needs. The stop has to be completed in a certain amount of time, uh, and I don't believe anybody loses position on the racetrack pending penalties for pitting. What about uh, if those who don't pit versus per- people who only pit once versus people who pit twice? Well, actually, that's going to be later on in my notes. Okay. But anyway, yeah, I'll touch on that. Okay. So for oval tracks, they said fuel and t- uh, well and two tires per stop. Uh, road course, fuel or four tires per stop. Now, that kind of confuses me because they said they allow for two opportunities to pit and i'm like i thought they could only do one or the other but i'll let nascar figure that out i'm sure they'll touch on that in whatever telecast they have but there there are penalties or you go to the tail end for exceeding the time limit given to you for pitting so if you are too slow in pitting your car you go down you go to the tail end cars involved in incidents can change four tires but they have to go to the tail end of the field like if you spin out, hurt your tires or whatever. Um, if you pit outside the designated lap for pitting, like if they allow pitting, then you go to the tail end, like pit road closed or like whenever you're not allowed to pit or whatever they say is safe to pit or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, uh, continuing with the penalties, uh, you get a two-lap penalty for taking four tires and fuel during a stop on an oval track. So it must be... Oh, no, they, they only allow two tires and, a, uh, and fuel on an oval track, right? Yeah, that's what I said earlier. Yeah, on an oval track, teams may add fuel and change two tires per stop. Oh, okay. So if you want four tires, you're probably going to have to come back around and take the other two, right? That's what it says, yeah. Okay, so that's... All right, well, we cleared it up right there. That's perfect. All right, so you also get a two-lap penalty for changing tires under green unless it's an approved stop. Meaning, um, if you have damage to your tires, like you got a flat or something, uh, any four tire stop on ovals only will receive a two lap penalty. Like if you get one flat tire, but you take four tires, you get a two lap penalty. Uh, and this is, this actually is part of the question that you asked the restart order mm-hmm. or restart lineups. It goes cars that did not pit will start further to the front. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't pit, you keep your track position. Cars pitting once will then start after those, then cars pitting twice, then free pass, wave around, and then penalty vehicles. So it goes in that order. So that's how they're going to line them up. Uh, and in my opinion, and uh, from what I've read, uh, the changes made to this uh, with those, these rules 
were made to reduce costs so that teams weren't having to pay cup or professional teams to work on their cars in non-companion races and pay for their travel and all their other expenditures, which a lot of little teams can't do. And I know you had a strong opinion on whether or not that would be good or not for the sport. So what you're saying is, is that this is all for a cost cutting procedure. Um, also for different types of strategy to be induced. Right. Well, yeah, technically, I mean, I know we were going into a discussion earlier on, um, what, whether or not it was good for racing. And I kind of touched on the idea that it would save a lot of the little teams more money because they couldn't afford to bring in cup series pit crews. And your argument was, it really doesn't matter because the type of uh, Xfinity or Truck Series team that doesn't can't afford to bring a pit crew is just going to be another start and park vehicle anyway. So what are you saving them? Really nothing. Yeah, and well, a lot of times with the companion races, I don't even know if, and somebody will correct me, but I don't even know if they really even pay some of these cup teams to crew their car for them or if the cup teams just come over and they're just paid by their regular team, and they use it as practice. I don't even know how that works. Yeah, like, I, I don't know what that what team is on which and who and how they mix it up. That doesn't really even matter to me. Uh, for me, this is just one more thing that that uh, fans are going to have to learn uh, and change up. I've been following this sport for since as long as I could walk, which is too long. Yeah, several decades <laughs> ago, and. I need a I need a nice clean graphic with some cool animation uh, in order to understand what's going on with this. This is way too complicated. I think I have a solution. Okay. Do you know we are actually watching the twenty four hours of Daytona in the studio right now, and that gave me an idea. Why don't the Cup Series and all these other feeder series go to a single god nut on their wheels? Instead of having five lug nuts. They've discussed it, but I don't know what came up of it. I know they've discussed it before. They just won't do it. Because you have studs coming out of the hub to hold the wheel in place, and then you got a single center nut on the hub to basically keep the wheel from falling off. And do you really need a you know super buff professional pit crew to hit one nut? No. I mean, if they want to save some money on pit crews and, and jacks and air guns and whether you're going to put helium or nitrogen or god knows what uranium into into the <laughs> into the jacks and, cesium and, yeah cesium <laughs> into the air guns. Down the why don't you just table. why don't you just have like a four-way lug wrench and get some jack from harbor freight or something make that the spec jacks so your spec pit road tools right there the 15 pump jack that the 15 pump jack for yeah the daytona one you get for like 99.99 at harbor freight and then a four-way lug wrench and have one guy junior johnson swing the thing around the front of the car and clean out officials who were in the way Something like that. Make them jump for it. That's just, yeah. There you go. If you if the pit stops aren't long enough for you, which they already are, because they're already like four, five, six laps per caution flag anyway, and now they're just going to make them even longer. I don't know. They're trying to sell more concessions or ad space. Hey, whatever makes some money. But I think that we could be onto something with the whole god nut theory, the central nut, because I've heard, and this is a rumor. But how much money 
do these teams spend on lug nuts every year? I've heard of this actually an absurd amount of money because I think they won and done the lug nuts. I've heard, and this is, like I said, completely unsubstantiated, that they could be spending up to $25,000 a year on lug nuts. Yeah, titanium lug nuts are some freaking space age material. God knows what they could do. I, I mean, isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> like I said, that's that's a rumor, but could you imagine a cup team or a NASCAR team spending that much money just on lug nuts? Well, they could if they can afford it. That's The haves are always going to have, and then the have-nots are going to be the have-nots. No matter what they do, if they save money per for the pit crew, even with this rule, the, the haves are still going to be able to put it into research and development, get better engines, get better parts, get better drivetrain, lighter and more complicated materials. So what are you really going to save? It's, I mean, racers are racers, and they're always going to find some way of making something lighter, something faster, something rotate better. And yet, like you said, whoever has the money is still going to have an advantage. But the overall point is just like it's to allocate money from, you know, for the smaller teams. They just want people to be involved. It, it almost like it doesn't need them to be competitive. They just want them to not have too much overhead to stay in the sport. They want cars on track. They want people to come. But I think the God Nut theory would really solve a lot of it. Yeah, I think the God Nut theory would work too. But if the the cars are so close to to the Cup Series that, I mean, they spend a really a real crap load of money, you know, per season, per team, and everything per race because they're really, really close. It's hard to almost tell them apart. And if we could actually do the trickle-down effect, remember being kids back in the 90s and watching the Bush North Series and seeing how many cars they used to have? Yeah, in the old late-mile sportsmen in the 80s, absolutely. They they didn't even look like cup cars at all. They, they were way different. Yeah, they were really cool-looking. And, and a, a lot of these teams didn't have anywhere near the amount of engineering resources that they have now. Like, they didn't have a giant you know, engineering facility at on site or ties to cup teams that could do, you know, wind tunnel testing for a, a North team. And if you were, who the hell were you? That's, that's the nature of the motorsport. It keeps getting, you know, there's more research development. There's more advances in technology and that's what drives the sport. That's what it's been since the inception is, the, is what is the, uh, what is a different way to go quicker and faster? It's not always point A to point B. Sometimes they have to do a lot of uh, homework to go to C and D and whatever alphabet letter you want to use. But you get the point. Yeah. So. And it it almost doesn't matter because you know somebody's always going to be better. Somebody's always going to be faster. Somebody's always going to find a way. And somebody's always going to complain when they step in to try to cut costs. So it's like, oh, well, you're putting your hand in here and you're trying to cut costs and you're handcuffing us for this. So they take their money and move it somewhere else. So NASCAR has to like run behind them and try to sweep up after them. And, you know, eventually it's, it's basically the racers. They're almost handcuffing themselves with, and it's tough to, it's tough to say. It's like they're, they're, they're almost making NASCAR or playing NASCAR's hand and saying that they 
have to make rules to try to trim the costs that they are themselves increasing. It's a really tough road to walk down. It's it's hard to describe. Yeah, socialism wins again. Communists. <laughs> I'm tired of this garbage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we were... The problem is, is if racers nowadays were really left to their own devices, racing would be so much different than it is or that it ever was. But I don't really know where the point or where it would really end. And I don't know how many people would still be involved based on cost. And that's that's the tough thing. It's almost like it evolves to the point where it to the point where it's no longer sustainable. You know what I mean? That's that's the gets the tough thing of about racing it's a yeah they're the, a victim of their own success really it there's no more frontier to be found anymore just quicker faster more reliable yeah there's no speed frontier to break anymore they're going fast enough yeah we don't we don't need speed anymore in racing it i've been i've been harping on it for forever and i think we've gotten way off topic but um speed never made racing great it made it cool yeah aerodynamics never made racing great it made it just was more technology to go faster right technology never made racing better yeah like if i could watch somebody in like an old formula one car from 1955 with a four inch wide tire you know smoking tire around corners with no seat belt again i would love to watch that because they're only going you know back roads or highway speeds but they you know they're getting every ounce out of it that they can and it's actually pretty entertaining to watch but like i said is the sport has evolved to the point where it's like people chasing after it to try to keep the cost down and keep it sustainable and the racers keep trying to make it unsustainable almost they're pricing themselves out so to to summarize the pit the new pit rules long complicated drags things out Makes questions longer already. Uh, too complicated. Need a doctorate of mathematics to even understand it. And it's another failure uh, that we have to look at. So we'll see in a few weeks, but that'll be fun. They should just go to the ISMA rules. You got two guys changing tires, and they got to carry their own tire, and they got a god nut on each wheel. Done. Well, too bad we're not in charge. No. We fixed it right here you yeah. know, in the studio. Yeah, you heard it first. So let's get on into lap number three. For lap number three this week, we're going to talk about the changes that are being made to NASCAR Cup uh, Series short track and road course package. And they made some pretty significant changes because the product that has been on the racetrack has been pretty poor overall for short tracks and road courses last year. It received a lot of real negative feedback. So to break it down, they went... And they took the spoiler height down from eight inches, which is way too big to begin with anyway for any track that they run on. That's a parachute. Yeah. I don't know why they're like, I, we're racers and we know a good race when we see it. And eight inch spoiler on any car, I don't care. It's it's not only gaudy and ugly as hell, but it's a parachute and it really doesn't make racing better. I mean, they, a ton of downforce, like the drivers all year long were sitting there complaining these cars are too easy to drive. We don't have any wrecks. We don't. We're not out of control. It doesn't. Ta- it doesn't test our talent at all. It basically just tests our bravery on restarts. And I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good point. And my favorite part of NASCAR was actually not too long ago. I think it was the Gen Six car right after the COT car when they had what was it? 
a three inch spoiler in the back and they still had like 900 horsepower those things were ugly to drive and people all over the place were saying oh it's so boring this one car will get out front and run away with it what did we see last year it didn't matter when one car was good it still got out front and ran away the races were still boring NASCAR finally took a, a cue and said, all right, well, we're going to fix something. And I'm like, finally, fixing something for the better. So they took the spoiler down from eight inches to two and three quarter inches for short tracks and road courses, which is awesome. Good. Make the cars more difficult to drive. It's not like you really got that much aerodynamics in play on a shorter track. I think it's for one mile or less, maybe. I'm not sure about that. But yeah, that's a good start. Then they said they're going to take down the splitter overhang from two inches to one quarter of an inch, which, again, thumbs up. Take downforce out of these cars. Make them harder to drive. Make them have to wheel the car. You know, they took a whole bunch of horsepower out of the cars and put a whole bunch of downforce in it. Now it's boring. I'm, as a racer, I find it boring because I don't think NASCAR really improved the on-track product. Like I said, all they did was make restarts more exciting or more dangerous, whichever one you want to call it. It also, the splitter overhang decrease, uh, they're going to include two, the two-inch wings and additional changes to the radiator pan. Like, they're going to take parts of the under tray out of the front, mm -hmm. and they're going to make the cars not suck down as much to the front. So I'm, I'm all in favor of all that. Whatever they do, that's fine with me. But I also heard a rumor that they are going to be working on a new tire compound that will fall off. And from the reports I've been hearing... These tires will last way too long. Like they said that they could run hundreds and hundreds of laps on these tires, but they just take them off because fresh tires are always better. So it's like, I want to see tires. They're going to change the tires every stage break or every however long a fuel run is anyway. So if the tires only last a fuel run, well, perfect. That's all they're going to use them for anyway, and they're going to throw them out. Well, like I agree that it is a step in the right direction with the aerodynamics, and they're onto something with the tire. And I, they have to make the tire a little, a little less grippy, a little bit harder to to uh, get the car to hook up, so that the driver has some input into it. However, I believe that they're going about the tire in the wrong way. Hmm. They what they really should do, and is and. <laughs> And this is probably not going to be favorable, especially to them. But they need to put the bias ply tires back on. I think that they should be manageable at short tracks and road courses. Because the reason why they went to a radial tire in the first place was, what, for loads, right? For corner loads? No, for speed. Oh, it was for speed? Really, they, they put it under the guise of safety. But the radial tire is a way faster tire for the competition and when it came out which was the first race that was won was i believe dale earnhardt in 1989 in north wilkesboro with the with the radial tire it was that recent yes yeah that was the first one it, it they were in the midst of a tire war with hoosier so that's they were, right they wanted to push push the envelope especially with the speed and hoosier didn't have that that was so. the first tire war with hoosier right because then hoosier came back in 94 yeah. 93, 94, something like that. Right, but the rail tire was here to stay because the performance jumped up and everybody likes more performance. Yeah, and Hoosier actually jumped out of NASCAR and went and developed their own radial tire, right? 
something right. like that. Right. And they tr- they tried and they and it ended up not working. So there's a whole thing on NASCAR Man History on YouTube if you want to go watch it. Definitely, it's a good watch to see the tire wars. Yeah, I know that a lot of people were trying to attribute the Hoosier tire to killing Rodney Orr and uh, Neil Bonnet, but I don't know if there's any real validity to that. Mm, I I don't know. That's hard for to say. I'm not an engineer. I don't know. It's just it just seems like a coincidence that they're on the Hoosiers, but it's it's. It's a bad coincidence. It's probably just a coincidence. But that was thirty-five but, years ago. Why? <laughs> well, no, thirty. Yeah, NASCAR needs to needs to uh, you know they yeah they have to re- reconsider it because uh, the bias ply is actually uh, stronger actually than the rail tire. Yes, I, I said it. It's stronger. The sidewalls don't bl- balloon out like the radial tire does under heat and when you build heat in the tire you can't get rid of that heat out of it no matter what these the tires are ruined in a radial tire now you, a radial tire has steel belting correct and a bias ply has more of a cloth belting or is that like my brain kind of somewhat like that yeah there's, there's different layers there's like four or five different layers of, of tire upon tire or is it just a different type of weaving for the, the right belting? that's how they're, they're weaving but they're just as safe they all could run their liners they're they're actually a little bit more safe. You don't have to run the high camber because the the contact patch is more forgiving. You can roll on a, a sidewall that gets and it still can grip. And but overall, the performance would make it slower in the corner. So guess what? The driver is going to actually have to get out of the throttle and push it onto the into the pedal that's in the middle, which is the brake. They have those. So still? they're going to have to do that and not have to draft even on like Charlotte and things of that nature. I mean, did you watch the in-car cameras from last year and see how many races they did not hit the brake pedal? Right. It's, I mean, pathetic. Right. They're they're basically slot cars. So you and like I mentioned, you can cool them off depending on how you drive and get back into it. Rail tires are junk. Uh, for a short track and for a road course, I think a bias ply tire. And I know we sound like dinosaurs, but guess what? They were awesome to watch. You could put they them on a super awesome. speedway as well. They have, they make a rail tire technology. I mean, uh, bias ply tire technology has way improved since 1990. Obviously, how many years did NASCAR run a bias ply tire on a super speedway at over 200 miles an hour? Until 1989? Yeah, 1988, 1989, 1989. At least until mid-89. Or 1990, yeah. Yeah. Maybe 1990. Was Bill Elliott on bias ply tires when he ran 212 at Talladega? Yeah, he was on the bias ply tire. I mean, they're going to mention, you know, the Bobby Allison wreck at Talladega. His tire blew out and he got up into the catch fencing, and that's why they had to do the restrictive plates and they had to put the tires on. Well, guess what? What are they doing now? They're, they're flipping over and they're going into the catch fetching anyway. So, as if debris doesn't exist, you know, it's <laughs> you there's, know. yeah, they're still on top of each other. The wrecks are actually more cons- or more consistent. So, it's a bloodbath, you know. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I would like to see them at least dabble with it because I think it would just be fun. I think it would be fun to watch those guys go out there and slide around. The K and N last used them. Uh, bias plies until 2016. Did they? Yeah, they did. It was a good year tire, though, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's and it was pretty good racing back in, up until then. And 
Well, now, who's in the K&N series? I don't freaking know. Uh, I, I, it's basically gone. the nepotism cup. Well, yeah, that's everyone. <laughs> but, you know, that's the... Yeah, the the series has kind of gone down since that. You know, uh, Goodyear can make it. It's fine. The fans aren't going to notice the difference. They don't even... Do they notice the difference that a Toyota Camry has an eight-cylinder rear-wheel drive cup car? No, they don't. It's still grounded to the ground, ain't it? Yeah, exactly. So what's the... Di- it's, Who cares? It, yeah. I'm all... Uh, the only thing I'm interested in is putting out an awesome product. And I think watching guys race at Bristol again and have smoke pouring off the right rear and, like, driving the hell out of the cars with no spoiler and banging into each other would be awesome. It was great. Look at all the old t- broadcasts on YouTube from the mid-80s. It was great. And I'm really... Or any race before that. It doesn't matter. You can find them. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely waiting the replies of people on twitter to say oh you're wrong engineering engineering and it's like you're not an engineer shut up you know we know that this worked in the past it worked in the future the cars were heavier in the past too for god's sakes right but there are companies out there that have developed a bias by tire and have made it way stronger now i just think that it would be a better show i really do you have to you have to get the driver to drive the car it's more it's more forgiving you can slide around on them once you break loose in a rail tire it's very hard to bring it back and so you got follow leader taxi cabs in New York City racing. Yeah, you got a, you got a lot more sidewall flex. The tire doesn't; it's not as stiff, so it doesn't slide or chatter across the pavement as bad. It's just easier. It's well, it's not easier to drive. It's easier to save. It's more forgiving. It'll put on a really awesome show, and that's just why we want to do that. Bring back the bias ply tires. End of story. Yeah, and make the cars look like cars. Brad Keselowski was actually quoted a couple years ago as saying that his favorite era in Cup was when they had no spoiler and a ton of horsepower, and I agree with him completely. There you go. Lift, brake. Yep, make the guys drive the cars. I want to see guys crash on their own because they're pushing it so hard. Yeah, I don't want to see guys crashing. Well, I don't want to see them crash, but I want to see them, you know, turn a car around because they're trying really hard. You know, I want to see these cars hard to drive again. Weed out the competition. Make the cream rise to the top based on talent alone. If you make a car that's really difficult to drive, then all this R&D going into aerodynamics and speed kind of goes out the window, and you now put that steering wheel back in the driver's hands, and that's what I want to see. Right, so let's get into lap number four. For lap number four, we're going to touch on something that's got a little bit of a local flavor. Uh, We saw on social media... Uh, from Ryan Priest, local Connecticut Cup Series driver. Uh, he posted pictures from a test at Martinsville Speedway of his tour type modified. And he had brought Kevin Harvick, a fellow Cup Series driver, Cup Series champion, to come and test his modified down in Martinsville. I guess it was really cold. I saw him walking around with jackets on. But hey, what better way to spend a cold day than at the racetrack? Uh Kevin Harvick had actually sponsored Stafford Motor Speedway's SK Modified Division as a contingency sponsor with his KHI brand. Uh, I believe they they have um, they represent like sports and athletes and stuff. I think it's a representation company which Ryan Priest is actually a part of. I forget what that oh, is. It's like a it's like a sports agency company, like an agent. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like he went from he went from being an owner and he says, you know what, I can actually make money. So let's just like not own race cars because <laughs> that's that's a losing proposition as we both know. Then he went into the sports agency market, which is a pretty smart move. Um, but no, 
people have been like dying to try to get Kevin into a modified after he, you know, was pressured into, uh, well, I say pressured into, but he was kind of convinced to sponsor SKs at Stafford, at which Ryan, I think, was actually racing SKs on and off during that time. And he eventually like rose into his Xfinity ride where he did really well for Joe Gibbs. And then his star just kind of, you know, blew up. And he ended up in the Cup Series. And I think he basically either convinced Kevin or, like, promised him, hey, I'll put you in a modified someday. And it, it just kind of fulfilled that promise. But it also opened the floodgates to the rumor mill. And it's like, will we see Kevin Harvick in a modified this year or any time in the future? What does Kevin say? <laughs> He's being very tight-lipped. I mean, we didn't even know that he was going to test the car until he kind of, like, showed up or the day before. Like, Ryan Priest was kind of playing guessing games on, on his social media saying, who's going to drive this car? So, I don't know. Like, he, Ryan already put a, a social media post out that said that Bubba Pollard is going to be in his modified for Speed Weeks, which is coming up very soon. Mm -hmm. And, like I said, he's putting a teaser out there that Kevin Harvick's driving his modified, but now I'm, I'm curious to see when he'll actually do it. Will we see Kevin Harvick in a modified anytime soon? Hey, why not hey, have uh, his old friend Ryan Newman in one? Yeah, he rode, uh, what was it, Gary Putnam's car? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, Or Tommy Baldwin's cars? Yeah, one of the Tommy Baldwin cars. Yeah, why not? Have fun. Go out there, see what happens. I mean, a lot of cup drivers have come out of Modifieds. Yeah. Look at Bodine and Spencer, Steve Park, Priest, yep. Ronnie Bouchard. I, I must be missing one. Oh, you're missing several. I know, Greg, I'm, I'm missing Greg Sachs. Oh, yeah, Greg Sachs. Okay, yeah, see, I knew I was missing a bunch. <laughs> yeah, you know, but and many others, but whatever. But, you know, they're all going to get spanked by Kobe and Bonsignor anyway, so it'll well, be fine. The problem is we haven't seen Doug Kobe get a ride yet because the Samreglio car is shut down. Right. Which yeah. sucks. I mean, that's terrible for modified racing. But, I mean, good, good luck to Mike in the future. Um, I hope he does well. I know he's done a lot for the sport. Yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, he's won a ton of titles. I mean, re remember, he won a title back with um, our old friend. Mr. Zegedy. Yeah, Todd Zegedy, which we used to race online. Online racing. And so, yeah, Mike has done a lot for the sport. And I hope that we do see Kevin in a modified one day. Because I know Ryan uh, Newman would jump in a car in New Hampshire, and he said he loved it. So he keeps coming back and doing it. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see what happens. We should get him at a shorter track, though. I think that they would have a little bit more fun at a short track, but they'd probably get a little bit more of an appreciation for it. But, I mean, racing at New Hampshire ain't no cakewalk, but to be fair. Moving on from that, we have Kyle Larson winning at the Chili Bowl this past weekend, or a week ago, because I was fil or I was busy recording a special, so I didn't touch on this news article. But I think it was his 13th effort at trying to win the Chili Bowl. And I know that's kind of a familiar number for you, because it took you 13 tries to win the World Series. And I know that once you <laughs> when you finally won it, it was a super you know exciting moment. And Kyle Larson called his Chili Bowl win he said, sorry, NASCAR, but this is the biggest win of my career. Mm. And that's fantastic. You know, but he's got more wins to, to come in his NASCAR career, hopefully. But, yeah, that's now watch that's him deal. Watch him win the Daytona 500 and be like, oh, boy, I'm in a tough spot. <laughs> ooh, yeah, ooh. Oh, boy. Or the title at Homestead. Who knows? Oh, 
almost done, bud. And then we can play? Then we can play. Almost done, bud. Mm-hmm. And then I can get you out. <laughs> yeah. But it opened up again. <laughs> but it opened up the floodgates yet again to people endlessly whining on social media about cup drivers coming down and taking money away from local boys. Oh, boo-hoo. You know what? I don't know why that's a problem. Like, these guys came from nothing, too. And they obviously rose to the top. And they are elite racers. Why are they suddenly not allowed to race anywhere that they want? I mean, I kind of understand their point sometimes because it's almost like, all right, would you rather, would you like to see, you know, like, uh, would you like to see Big Poppy come down to like, uh, so the, the Pawtucket Red Sox and hit dingers off of a AAA guy? I mean, that's not fair. I would, but you would, you know, <laughs> most people would, uh, you know. But I understand their point, you know, a little bit about that. You know, it's almost like you know trying to dunk on a little kid's pickup basketball game, but you know. It's uh, it's something that NASCAR drivers have been doing since for the dawn of time. I know Bobby Allison used to go race anything that had wheels on it. He used to barnstorm throughout the country forever. And a lot of these guys did a lot of barnstorming. That's a lot of the ways how they made their money. There's, yeah, there's so many guys like that. You know, Daryl Waltrip used to do it. Dale Earnhardt even has done it a, a few times. And I don't remember any complaining back then. Maybe there was, but so what? They made the events they were running a lot more prestigious. My problem is, is that all the complaining is not coming from racers. Yeah. Do you notice the racers complaining or do you say, well, if this guy's coming down, I better step my game up because this guy's the best and I want to be the best. So I got to beat him. Right. And that probably draws more cars and everything. But, you know, there's always going to be some troll or some a-hole that knows more about it than we do. You know, and it just hurts the sport. I mean, it's just stupid to say, like, why even say it? Why? Because social media is cancer and it's a mistake. If right. You give too many people a voice and no one knows them to shut the hell up. If you give somebody a voice, they'll show you how stupid they are by opening their mouth. Like now. Right. Yes. Like this podcast. <laughs> like us. But anyway. <laughs> but no, I mean. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a. I think it promotes uh, whatever event it is. I think it makes it more prestigious to have the best of the best show up. Why not? God, I would give anything to go run a midget at the Chili Bowl against those guys. If Kyle Larson stepped into a street stock, I'd sure as heck want to race him. Oh, God, yeah. I'd be there in a heartbeat. Let's go. Let's go kick ass. I just think that a lot of the arguments about guys racing in these like lower races or lower tier events or whatever is really just hollow. It's just hollow. It's like, oh, they're taking money away from teams. It's like, do you really win that much money? It's not going to take all your Uh. operational costs. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, some of them are quote-unquote bigger money races, but... I mean, you think the Swindells are really hurting? You know what I mean? No. I mean, you think the Lasoskis and the, the you know Kinzers are really hurting that bad? Brett Hearn? No. No. I mean, these guys are doing fine. Yeah, it's, yeah the haves are still going to have. Right. This is kind of like the... If the car passes tech, part. if the car passes tech, you got nobody to blame but yourself because the parts are all available and you should be good enough to beat them. End of story. You just got to beat him. You know, if you put Kyle Larson in your car and you put you in, you know, his car and it, he still beats you, well, what excuse you got? So you should have a race like that. Yeah. Swap seats. Let's go. It's like take the <laughs> take it. the biggest whiner and swap seats and see who beats who. Yeah. Because let's be fair, it's probably not the car half the time. 
Like when Ryan Priest enters his, you know, SK at Stafford and comes from the back and kicks everyone's ass, is it because he's a cup driver? No, it's because he knows what he's doing. Is Doug Kobe, you know, starting to back at a tour race at Thompson and come, come to the front and win because he has, you know, cup series talent or it's because he's got, you know, the best car or whatever? No, it's because he kicks everyone's ass, you know? You just got to, you got to be up on the wheel. You got to know what you're doing. You got to have good feedback. You got to be smart. You just got to be good. That's all. So I'm sick of the whining. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Communists aren't people. Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you all for listening. I want to take a second to plug the Vault Productions webisode series that I talked about last week that Jesse and I both worked on called The Show. It's going to be debuting on Tuesday, January 28th. It's going to be on SidsView.com. Look for it on the uh, Vault Productions website. Uh, I'll probably try to share it with uh, the page website for Making Laps Podcast. I'll try to do as much as I can to promote it. It's going to be really cool. We got to preview it. It was an awesome series. I think everybody who is a short track racing fan will enjoy it. I want to thank my brother Jesse Gleason for sitting in on the show. Thank you. Roses are red. Violets are red. The state is red. Communism is bad. Poems are illegal. Go to the gulag. (laughs) (laughs) He had to get his communism rip in as quick as possible. No food for you. Oh. Well, I don't need to eat because I'm too fat, so I'm not racing. That's why I'm getting fat. Dark Uh, humor is like food. Not everyone gets it. Right. I want to also thank my normal co-host Phil Jakes for calling in uh, from Florida from the Daytona uh, or from the 24 hours of Daytona. It was cool hearing the cars run by in the background and getting all the the best uh, strategy points for drinking. Uh, well, you can find this show on social media at Making Laps Podcast on Instagram. You can find it at facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. Twitter hasn't gotten to fixing our page yet. Uh, you can find all the links to any playing platform on GleasonBrosRacing.com. We are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. Uh, you can actually find me on Instagram at BrentGleason01 if you so choose to. And I'm also on Twitter at that handle. Don't friend me on Facebook because I never listen to it anyway because Facebook is cancer. Facebook is cancer. That's really the only thing I have. Social media is cancer. It was a mistake. It promotes narcissism and self-importancy. Correct. So anyway, thank you all for tuning in. Keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence. Get off the computer and go outside. And play and work on cars and do things with your hands. Goodbye.